0: cool. Come on, guys. Clap your hands for Dan. 1976. Y'all can take your seats this morning. Y'all so good. You just stand the whole time if we let you. We love that about you. This is week two of this old church. I almost grammatically named it this old church because that's how I was saying it, but I didn't want to get, you know, confusing. So I put this old church. I said it extra clear. But it's really this old church is really what I was thinking, what God was thinking. And this is week two, and I want to give you this passage, but before we get into that, I want to give you a few announcements. Wasn't that worship good? It was great. It was great. And it's great when we go all out for God. That's what makes it great. It's because Everybody comes together, and that's what's happening, and that's, that's praise and worship. It's an expression of what's in our heart, and so we're blessed to be able to do that freely, and um, I want to encourage somebody today that y'all may think the setup team is work, but it's a great opportunity for someone to step forward in their faith. We're looking for people to join the setup team. And that's, that's a morning and an afternoon thing. That We appreciate the help after church, but we need somebody who says, I'm all in. Let me help you in the morning because we really need it. And in order to move this thing forward, they moved us a little bit further away. We're, we're lacking in time just a bit, and it's just for a season. But if anybody wants to do that, we've made it pretty much muscle-free. So ladies, anybody who wants to do it is welcome to do it. Everything's on wheels these days. It wasn't always that way, but we've evolved it, and uh, we are looking for help there So um, I just want to encourage somebody to uh, ask God if that's something they can be a blessing in because um, there's a really neat bond on the setup team that you wouldn't be able to really experience without it. And you can ask Nate or Mike or Damon or Cameron or Vincent. They've been doing it for over three years and uh, there's a special bond with that team. So I just want to encourage you because when we get a building someday, that team's going to be distinguished. And so we're going to have to create bonds in other ways, but right now that's how we do it. Amen. Today is, we can clap for that. No setup team, no church. Just keeping it real. This ties into the message today because we're not a PC church. And if we were PC, I would call us a failing church because we have to be honest with the gospel. And so we're just kind of transparent with everything we do because we feel like that's what God called the scriptures to be. But today is Pentecost Sunday. Does anybody know what that is? Pentecost Sunday, is a, it's, it's observed the seventh Sunday after the resurrection or the 50th day post-resurrection of when the uh, today was the day in Acts 2 when Peter spoke on the hill and everything went crazy, crazy weird. But it's cool because this was around the time back then it took place after Christ had ascended. So if you can imagine like Easter, when I say post-resurrection, I'm talking about Easter Sunday. We call it Easter Sunday holiday. The Bible calls it resurrection. So if you imagine the time we had resurrection and then this this amount of weeks that have passed, that's how it felt as they were on the in-between before God endued them with power on the day of Pentecost, which is now observed today. It's always followed by the seventh Sunday after Easter. And I thought it was fitting because um, we're in this series and we're touching on the differences between The disciples that went out and witnessed in Acts. And then we're going to jump today to the disciples that went out and witnessed. Did you know you don't have to be the original 12 to be a disciple? In fact, they were called apostles. Anybody that followed them became disciples. Anybody that shares the good news is a disciple of Christ. When we get baptized, we are saying, I follow the teachings of Christ and I'm publicly professing. That means you're a disciple. You're out there witnessing on behalf of the mentor, which is Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So that's why it matters. That we do it. It's not just um, a celebration. It is a celebration, but it's not just a celebration. It's a spiritual shift in the way we perceive this life and what we're doing with it. But last week, we focused on all things new. How many did anybody enjoy that one? Come on, somebody, give me a clap. Come on. I just loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. I'm going to go back and watch it on the mobile app when the mobile app starts working. Till then, we'll watch it on YouTube or Facebook or the website. The other 80 places you can watch it without even thinking about it. It's almost, you know, a two-year-old could search it. I don't know. My two-year-old could probably, like, hack it or something. I don't know. These these two-year-olds these days are extra intelligent. It's a little creepy. Today we're going to focus on, though, the era that was preaching in that song. Oh, I feel good. Feel good. Come on, somebody! I feel good. I don't even know how it went, but it was something like that, and uh, it was good. But that was the era. That was the 70s, 80s era that my folks grew up in, in their experience. And um, it's so good because it's roots of how we got to hear. So we're going to focus on that today, but I just want to tell you some, some cool stories about that time period that I, I've heard through memories shared and also a little bit. I mean, the early 80s, I was kind of still in it. I was just little. And, and I remember my dad doing things like street evangelism with a banjo. I know you're thinking what's a banjo? It's like a guitar but it's heavier and it's round and it's always it's 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 an open tuning so you can just bring and it's in it's like it works even if you don't touch it you just bring you know so that's a banjo and they would witness anybody ever seen a banjo? We're going to add a banjo. Anybody? Okay. We're going to add some boom boom, ding ding boom, ding ding boom, boom, boom a little subs, a little banjo. What do you think? Nolani? You know any banjo players? She's shaking her head yes, but she's saying, no, we're not doing that. Anyway, that era had something special about them. And I'm going to give you the passage in a minute. In fact, let's go ahead and do the passage. This will make more sense. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. The ibuprofen I took is getting my, my thoughts out of order. It's hard stuff for for ibuprofen I have to take to get the job done. I don't want any. I know I've used the label. It says two, but I'm a man and I choose four. Okay, because it works. I wasn't feeling the greatest this morning, but this is right after uh, Peter and John. I think. Well, the scripture is right in front of me. Peter and John were getting persecuted for professing the gospel at the beginning of Acts chapter 4 in the Sanhedrin, which is like the council didn't like it that they were doing these things and claiming Christ to be the source of all these miracles signs and wonders and so this passage here is after they were thrown in jail for a day I mean they went to jail for a day because they wanted to share Christ. Is anybody willing to go to jail for a day today and miss the barbecue? No? That's what they did. I'm not saying I would, but that's what they did. They they said, this is legit. Like, this is a real thing, and you need to hear it. And so be it. If you put me in jail for a day, I'll get out tomorrow. So they got out the next day, and they come together with all the disciples at that time because the, the team was growing. A growing church is a healthy church. It was meant to grow, go out, take my gospel out into the world. That's what we believe but so where we start off in verse 23 is when they come back now after dealing with the persecution of the Sanhedrin because they've been professing Christ to the public and doing things like healing people, they come back together and they talk about it. And on verse 23, it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They, they told them about the hate they were receiving. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together In prayer to God, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit that dwelleth in you, that made the heavens, everything about you. You spoke it through the mouth of your servant, our faithful David. It came through the ancestry to us. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That's Christ. 27 says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Anybody ever feel like that? Like you're trying to do good, but the world is against everything you're trying to do, and all you're trying to do is the right thing? Does anybody ever feel that? They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They said, "You already knew God what was going to happen. Verse 29, "Now Lord, consider their servants, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Look to your neighbor and say, "Boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus." There's a reason we claim and prophesy and speak the name of Jesus. Just read the book of Acts. Everything that was done was done in the name of Jesus. I didn't write it. It's gospel. The fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in Christ bodily. He is the head. We are the corner. We are the body. You see, You see. he represents everything God is. That's why Jesus was the name they were baptized in. That's why Jesus is the name it says you must be saved by. That's why it says everything they did was against Jesus. They didn't say we persecuted God. They didn't say we persecuted the almighty creator. We persecuted Jesus. He is the threat because he represented everything God is to humanity. Does that make sense? People don't understand that. And when they understand that this is not a fleshly man we're talking about, this is the inhabitor, container of the almighty spirit of God that was delivered through time and space and was born of something called a fruit or a son because it has a beginning. But the spirit hath no beginning. He is from the beginning as it was in the end as well. There's no time on God. So that's why God uses these terms to describe his his position with man in different realms and spaces. It's not as confusing as the world has made it. That's just me preaching for a minute because it's so much simpler than what we have made God to be. We don't focus on the flesh. We focus on God, the Almighty, who dwelt in the sacrifice who came and went and then that same God left Christ on resurrection and how, how ironic is it today on the day of Pentecost he then said I'm going to go into you don't you go preach that gospel Peter until you've been endued with power and you got to wait for that sign that sign is my spirit that left the body of Christ and now is going to be poured into you in Acts 2. So I'm giving you some practical teaching here so you understand what went down because when you understand that revelation that we're taking the place of the Messiah himself because we become part of the body, you're going to look at Christianity different and like start a church or something. I didn't have all my coffee. It's still in the back. Probably a good thing at this point. (laughs) We get fired up. It's zeal for the Lord. It's zeal in the sun's out, which is good. Tired of that rain but anyway did I even finish the passion I got passing I got no I I didn't even finish my scripture I got so fired up there that's like what preachers do okay verse 30 it says stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus after they prayed this is what I really wanted to tell you guys none of that before was part of this the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. There it is again. You mean to be bold, we have to have power, and if we don't have the power, how can we be bold, Derek? You know, he's right there. We are called to be bold. In the church that I wanna preach about today, they were bold and brave. Bold and brave. My subject today is bold and brave. This old church wasn't some lion laying down waiting to be slewn or lamb. They were bold and brave. And some funny stories I can share with you now that I think are quite humorous and and, and some people may think is offensive, but I'm just going to tell you about my experience back that time. Like, Like, my family would go to church, like, was it 18 days a week? Five. Five days a week. And like... Uh, they'd be street preaching, and 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 then my dad was awesome. He would like go out to total strangers, and he still does this. And he'd be like talking to druggies on the street and saying Jesus loves you. And like next thing you know, they're praying together. He'd be at the lake. This was just a few years ago, but back then they'd have the banjo, and he'd be teamed up with guys like Vic Vokta and people who aren't afraid to be bold and brave. And Vic, my dad told me, and Vic gets straight up gets spit on sometimes. I mean, hey, Jesus loves you. loogie in the face. Doesn't that feel nice? They weren't preaching fire brimstone. They weren't preaching that. This ain't ain't Westboro Baptist. This is the love of Christ that was getting spit on, just like the Messiah. We come with grace and truth and love, but it'll still get you spit on when the devil gets involved. And he don't like that. And so the church, I thought, what, what represents that era so much? It was, they were bold and brave and I have some other memories I thought I'd just share to, um, just to get a laughter out of y'all. When I was a kid, I went to um, Christian school for a year in kindergarten. And, and then when we would go to church at night, I had my clip-on tie and my Hot Wheels. And they didn't have chairs back then. They had, they had pews, pews. They're like benches, young people. And I remember they went from orange to like a blue later in life. And I don't know, they're probably chairs today. But, but what I would do, this is pray for your pastor. This is where the deliverance came from. I would crawl underneath those things with my Hot Wheels and I'd bump into old ladies' legs. Like, <clears throat> sorry. I mean, I was only like five people. And can I tell you something else really funny, but maybe it's not church appropriate. I don't know, you can judge me later. When I went to school there, like the women, they would wear the hose, I think they're called. And so when they walked, in. shh. I've told my mom this, and I know she's gonna get this one. So we'd be like going to lunch during kindergarten, right? And we'd be walking through the halls, and when the church ladies were in a hurry, they'd be like, and and I'm like, I'm in kindergarten, so I'm five, turning six, and I'll just tell you, I thought this noise was completely something else coming from their body till I was like twenty-seven. My mom says that was their leggings. So I thought, those church ladies, they're like, it just followed them everywhere they went. And every time there was recess or a thing and we had to do the thing where we hold the rope so we didn't get lost, I'd see. And I'm like, dear God, what are they eating? And that's my memory of Christian school. There was some other good ones, like one time this kid, we had this soda closet in the basement of New Life, and it was like lunchtime, and they had this like soda machine, and this kid threw me in the closet and shut the door, and he was like, he was like a fourth grader, and I was in kindergarten, so I wasn't strong enough to like defend myself, and I remember my brother came and rescued me because I was trapped in the soda closet with the Pepsi machine. We had Pepsi. We just didn't have the Coke machine. That was not biblical or something. I don't know. And then this other time, I could, just go on a, I could just go on a rant list today and feed you with completely uh, effortless, uh, immaterial humor. Like the one time we were sitting at the lunch table, Don, and I had the spaghetti in the thermos because that's how mom sent spaghetti to school. And, and I was eating the spaghetti out of thermos in this leaf surfaces in my meal. And I'm like, there's a leaf from a tree in my spaghetti. And so, so I come home, I said, Mom, there was a tree leaf. You remember this, Mom? I said, there's a tree leaf in my spaghetti. She says, that was a, an herbal leaf for flavor, son. What is it called? A bay leaf. I'm five. So here I am fighting the devil over this spaghetti, and I'm fighting the devil over this, this soda closet, and I'm fighting the devil over these crazy ladies with their psh, psh, psh. And I'm thinking, God, what do you want to do with my life? So here we are. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, Despite the jokes and the funny stories like that, and there's more of them. That generation is getting diminished in today's world. And it's not, it's not the people, it's the perspective that's getting lost in the washed down world. We're living in a we're living in a bottled world, bottled water gospel world. So we'll just wash it down, we'll just keep washing it down till there's nothing, nothing left. But my dad came out of the 70s era of preaching, church life, so did my mom. And it was a different, and a lot of you here did as well. It was a different world back then compared to now. Some of us struggle to make it once a week. Can you imagine five times a week? Dear God Almighty, that's a lot of church. I couldn't do it. But hats off to them, because that's what faithfulness did. They wanted to go all in no matter what. It didn't even matter if it was practical. If that's what we need to do, if that's, that's what God says to do, we're going to do it. And so they did it. And one thing I see is boldness in that era continued to bring forward, and that aligned with acts. So when, you, when we do laugh about the Pepsi machine and all the things and the bay leaf and the spaghetti, what I remember is they aligned with acts because they were bold and brave. Which, Jesus, or which Peter just spoke here, with boldness. Because they were endued with the same power to be bold, just like the people of Acts were just endued with the same power. We all have the ability to be endued with the same power. And so God will bless you through, he'll bless your bravery through boldness. And what we're living in today is a seeker-sensitive world. I mean, it's gotten out of hand since corona. Now everything you can't, like there's, there's nothing you can talk about. Everything is being reversed. Like nothing that says anything is worth anything because it's not seeker sensitive. And I'm all about uh, being intuitive with someone's experience and not being too aggressive with someone who's never been to church. Because if you just dump the whole Bible on them, they're not going to come back they're not going to understand. You, so there's a, there's a, called a discernment. The Bible calls us to be discerning Christians. And so we want to do that. But we've gotten like sometimes some 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 of the world has gotten so seeker sensitive that it's getting out of balance. It's like so delicate there's no meat. Who likes living on rice cakes? Does that feed you? You'd wither away and die off those healthy things because there's no substance. And if there's no substance, eventually something's got to give, like your eternity perhaps, or like your walk perhaps. Something's got to good. It may be really fun and all, but if there's no meat, something's happening. In a negative way, it can become rice cakes. And then, then there's the opposite approach. There's, there's the too hard thing. Like you can be all up in someone's grill and like, Jesus loves you, man, and you can shake them. And if they don't come to their knees right now, you can shake them some more and put them in a chokehold until they say, okay, I'll come to church. I love Jesus. Like that approach also can fail. Should we try it? Some of you are like, that's what we do. Isn't that what you said to do? Be bold. Don't put your hands on people. It's called it's called the first level of assault is what that is. If they fear danger from you, they can claim assault, even if you don't put your fingers on them, okay? You can, you can preach at them so hard, they say they, especially in today's world, they assaulted me. Popo at your door. You don't want that. So I'm going to get to what I'm trying to say here. We must be careful on either end of that spectrum not to let the joy of the community get rid of the clarity of what the mission is. We got to keep it real, too. That's what real love does. We got to keep it real. And the church, I believe it should be fun. I love it that people get annoyed from like old church that we have like subwoofers and like some hip hop music. That's why we do it, to irritate people, because it's fun. I mean, that's not why we do it to irritate people, but we like to shake up the soil because we're breaking your, your tradition. We're breaking the tradition and trying to show you a fresh look and make it new again to you by always making it not predictable, just like the way God would always do it different. We know he was faithful, but how he delivers, like two years after you give up trying to have the baby, like he always does it different, you know? And so that's what we're trying to do as a church. And so this seeker-sensitive world can be a danger zone. It can be a danger zone. But the retro church, the church from that era, was bold and brave. There was realness. What we're trying to do is make sure we carry forward the attributes that come from here, that went through the 70s era and all the church eras, and that should still persist today. We're trying to absorb the attributes to collectively be the best church of God we can be. And that realness is what I'm talking about, that we're losing realness. We're losing realness that people are so tired of the fake thing They want real love, and real love loves you when you hurt, and sometimes it hurts to really love you. Does that make sense? Sometimes to really show you I love you is to not tell you what you want and to not give you what you want and to to say, I'm there for you, but you're making a mistake, and this is the way, and God loves you, but with grace and truth, I can't stray from this word and do it because you do it. I can't applicate the theology of the scripture to the, to, to the theology you want to you a la carte into your life. We have to keep it real. We can't do that. And so we can do that as people. I do it. We all do it. So we got to keep realness at the center. Otherwise, if we become too patronizing, too pat on the back for everything, and there's never any teaching, there's never any substance, we start pushing people into a danger zone in their walk to a much is given, much is required, the Bible says. That's what that means and that's a scary thing. That scares pastors out of a job because if you you realize that what you've been given has so much value that regardless of what people say about it in this world, God says this is an invaluable truth, and if you handle this rightly, great things will happen, but if you handle this the wrong way for selfish motives, for the wrong things, you can push other people into a spot they would not have fallen in, but it's because of you, you led them the wrong direction. So that is what I'm saying. So we have to be cognitive to to keep the truth at the center. It's important, y'all getting this? It's a danger zone when we're too extreme on one end or the other. So this is kind of like, applies to our individual lives, and this, this applies also to our church, how we move the gospel forward, because synergy is how we're all doing it independently, together as one, and then that's what the output of the church is. Someone's the foot of the body, someone's the finger, someone's, someone's the, the neck, someone's the shoulder, and together we're the body of Christ. And Jesus told me in my prayer the other night, he said, I wasn't PC. He says, I just want you to know, pastor, I mean, son, or whatever he calls people, when they talk to him clear enough that you can discern that. I don't usually hear from God so clearly. He says, I wasn't PC. I was graceful, but I was real. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus was PC on the cross when they were getting ready to crucify him? He'd be like, you can't call this a cross. It's two pieces of wood because the cross implies suffering. And I don't think that's appropriate to imply any type of suffering on this cross because that would be, that would be harmful to people knowing truth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Do you remember the scripture when he's throwing tables over because they made the house a den of thieves? synagogue, you know, you know, Emily's like, I don't know, but I'm letting you know, girl, that's why I'm preaching to you. See, 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 he tipped things over because he had to keep it real because if he didn't say anything, you got rice cakes. We can feel real good. We can go through the motions. We can make the pictures look real good. We can make the broadcast look real good and we can get really loud. And I can really throw out a lot of buzzwords, but at the end of the day, if we don't keep the truth transparent and real, we're hurting people. You can clap for that. It's good. Because it has to be at the forefront of your mission. This is not my mission. This is a mission over everyone's life. And so if you're not cognitive of how you are dealing with people, your interactions, you got to really make sure Christ is the backbone of what you're saying. Or be careful. Slow to speak, James said. His own brother said, slow to speak, quick to listen. Because sometimes we get too ahead of what we know, and we just start throwing darts at people. It doesn't always work. Sometimes it can push them into the danger zone. Well, God will get you for that. Oh, that's such a loving thing to say to someone who walked in a church. Happened. Not here. Of course not. We're way too clean for that. But people... people church hurt we preached on church hurt it's a real thing because people start throwing throwing scripture like their darts out of context it's like whatever like whatever buzzword of the day and then they say the lord told me blah 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 and they start hammering people and then the priest's like i am not going back there discernment matters and jesus wasn't politically correct that's what makes me love jesus so much is that in all the grace and love he's shown me as an individual, and you can apply this to yourself, he never takes away the reminder that you absolutely need him in your life. He never says, you're good enough, go forward, call me when you need me. He says, I love you to the ends of the world and back. I love you more than anything, but you absolutely need me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And whoever shall not believe on me shall perish you know, like like God is real, he's keeping it real. They were making the house of den of thieves, and so he tipped over tables, so he'll never stop loving you. That's called real love, because it's transparent, bold, but graceful. Graceful, truth in love. We want to be a church that shares the truth in love, even when we don't disagree. We disagree in love. We don't get bitter. We don't start bringing in weeds to the garden. We talk about it. We hug it out. We don't have to be, even. it's not even personal a lot of times. It's just called springboard healthy church growth discussion. It's not personal. I had a guy flip out on my own email the other day. This is not even related to the church. Because however I said something, I think it was very uh, to the point in the email. You could tell he got flustered, so I called because I learned a lot of times just call the person because they're misinterpreting the way it's worded. And he says on the phone, well, I don't want to fight about it. And I was like in a really good mood. I said, I w-, I said, brother, I said, I wasn't fighting with you. I said, I was just asking a question. I said, I think the email maybe gave you a tone that wasn't really there. I said, I agree with you. This was, this was in the software world, This technical people, you know. I'm, I'm a geek, so I can make fun of them. So, so what I'm saying is like, that little bit of tonal difference in an email versus a phone call completely changed how this person perceived me which i've never met in person by the way so it's just that easy that's why we want to be slow to speak quick to listen and always make grace at the forefront of our delivery in communication with each other so jesus did that but he also wasn't afraid to keep it real and that's what that's what the church was they were keeping it real they were bold and brave and the greatest way to lose someone you care about is to fear telling them the truth, is to fear being honest with them. I I'd, I'd, I'd love having people hate me for being honest. What I can't sleep at night is when I know in my conscious I didn't tell them what I felt really was truth because I was intimidated by what they might think. So I've learned over time to keep the conversation going, but delicately, gracefully, not abandon because that can hurt them more. Than what you have to say by not saying anything. So we're going back and forth, showing how the church can be, but at the center of it, we want to get to this place because God blesses the brave through that boldness that Peter spoke of. Jesus really hates on the Pharisees in the scripture. If you notice a pattern, it's called the Pharisee mindset, it's the religious mindset. Look at my robe. It's, it's this thing that when I get to a place that I no longer remember where my strength comes from and I'm more worried about how I look to you, I no longer will be effective and I no longer am reverent to the gospel. I no longer am reverent to God Almighty who actually created me, gave me everything I have, all the money in my bank, everything I have is his to begin with. So if it all went away today, guess what? It was his to begin with. So, so when I keep that at the forefront of my mind, I stay in the healthy zone. But when I become the Pharisee, I start saying, look how loud I can get. Look how good my praying is. Everybody look at me. Ma, 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 ma. Oh, Jesus, 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 thank you, Lord. Like, like, there's all these things, like how much KJV can I quote? None. I'm horrible at quoting scripture. Like, like, let me look at my garments are so good. And that's what the Pharisees did. So if we're not careful, we're no different because we're human. We can take that forward. Y'all with me? We can carry that forward. It was called a weed in the garden. It's called some roundup weed killer. Well, no, that's weed killer. But roundup kills your good seed. We don't want roundup. We don't want weeds, I heard. It's, none of it's good. But, but that is all contaminating to the garden of your heart, which is why, what I'm saying garden. I'm talking about the soil here. So we don't want to become a Pharisee. That's a different sermon coming. <laughs> There's so many in my head. They roll together sometimes. I was trying to think about that one for a minute. When in doubt, go back to your word. Scripture reinforces the need for God in all things. Jesus himself reinforces the need for him in all things. While never abandoning his love for us, he keeps reinforcing our need for him, which is so good. They were hungry. I'm not talking about the people on the hillside when Jesus broke broke the bread and multiplied the fish i'm talking about that 70s 80s church they were hungry for realness i used to make this joke but i was serious when we were in the high school as i said just because you don't know you're starving doesn't mean you're not and so I said, I'm gonna just keep preaching this until people realize they're starving and they didn't even know it. So I still believe that because you can be so used to rice cakes and have such an underdeveloped spiritual palate that you think it's actually a really good thing to eat while your body withers. Until you get up in that nice restaurant and you get the steak and you get the whatever and you say, wow, there's a big spectrum here of growth in my taste buds for for life I didn't know about. So so I always said, I said, we're going to preach it and keep telling them until they realize maybe I'm starving and I didn't know it. And now I'm starting to feel something I didn't feel before, which is a satiated spiritual satisfaction that I've been lacking and I didn't know it because I turned off my feelings to it. I turned off my spiritual eyes and ears to it. So they were hungering for realness. And that's what we can never lose. We can never lose hunger for realness. We need the Holy Spirit. The world right now is starving for authentic gospel truth. And there's churches all over the world trying to give it to them. But until the person says, I'm ready to come sit at the table and eat, progress can't truly be made. And sometimes they just keep hearing about the menu for a long time. And finally they go, okay, I'm going to go check out that holy restaurant and try it out. I'm going to try it out. Maybe it took a year of hearing about how good the food was. And finally, I'm going to try it out. And I'm just going to be pigging out on this spiritual famine because I haven't really eaten in a decade. And I didn't know this until I tasted what is good. Jesus says, I am the only bread. I am the bread and the life. He said, he said, he said things like eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. Like not in a literal. Like he's saying, when you consume the word, you shall be Satisfied, and you shall be strengthened. If y'all could stand this morning, I'm gonna give you a couple more notes here and end it with a really neat moment from this past week. The process can get tiring when you take away the provision behind it. This can, Nate, this can feel like work when we take God out of it. But when God's in it, it lights you up. It fills us up. It keeps you consistent. You gotta put God in your menu today. At the barbecue, we gotta put some God on the plate with the hot dog today. And the pulled pork, by the way, which is gonna be really good. Don't miss it. The world is hungering for realness, and our job as the church is to carry forward the bold and brave of my dad's era. I like to say it because I'm, I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for people of that day who showed me different because I was too timid to know different. And so that, that is meant to carry forward into us and our children in this, in this world. And so we want to carry that boldness through our bravery to today's world. God will bless the brave through the boldness. This, um, I have two stories real quick. When we were in the high school, at the end of service one time, we finished up and everything was done and people were cleaning up and this man who had visited came up and he says, I appreciate your boldness. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? You don't have to pre- See, what he was really saying is I appreciate transparency because we're losing that. It's not really boldness. It's called honesty. It's called transparency. And that's the way it was meant to be given. So when it's elevated into a stature of this boldness that comes from, from, from a man's pat on the back, and he, he meant it good, but I had to say back to him, this is just the gospel. Jesus is the one that's bold. Jesus, it says they were only bold because the Holy Spirit filled them is what it said at the very last verse so Jesus is the one that's bold and that's how it was meant to be that's the only way we can do it church is with God in the center but I wanted to close with this story we lost my grandfather about a week ago and we had the celebration wake, I'm not sure what the politically correct term is and my dad asked me to sing a song, and I'm just like, "Oh no, I don't want to sing it, one of these things." It's like the little kid in me came out, like the the intimidation, and I'm thinking, "Well, I pastor a church, but but I don't want to do that. But I pastor the like, good like good devil, bad, you know. And and I thought, "This is for my dad. And this is for my grandpa. I'm gonna do it." And I went, it was just like this mental thing. I had to like sit for five minutes. Ago, duh. And so anyway. <laughs> We had my dad leading. Okay, my dad's got the fire in him. You've seen that. And he still does. So my dad was leading the celebration just in communication. So God's presence was already really strong, okay? And then I was sitting at the guitar I was gonna sing Mercy Me. I I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side, surrounded by your presence. When will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I, you know? So I was doing that. I was waiting, and I'm just waiting in like this silence. And it's like so tense, you know, because it's a funeral, it's politically correct. And I'm thinking, the only thing we can do in here is worship. I don't care what people think. This is my grandfather laying there, and it was really awkward. And so my dad's talking, and people, nobody wanted to talk, remember? He's like, does anybody want to say anything? And they're all intimidated. And I get it. Not everybody's meant to do that. And then, and then the gentleman leading the service, it was Aaron Batchelor leading, leading the funeral. So he was on fire, and he was preaching. And then I got to do the song, and I said, I know you all know these words. You all better sing this with me. And we got that whole place lit up singing. It was really cool. Wasn't that cool? Dad, did you like that? That was cool. It wasn't funeral-like. Mike, I don't know if that was funeral-like. It was much too full of joy. But I said, if my grandpa was here right now, he'd be singing. He'd be singing this with us. So y'all better sing this song because I know you know the words. And I said it a little nicer, Christine, but they did. And it was so cool because we we got, ri- we got rid of the, the fear of what they would think. I mean, it was just family, but they needed to hear that. And, and some of them haven't gone near a church in 20, ever, 20 years, ever. Some of them got some real issues. And so that was our only chance to touch them for a second because that's all it takes is a touch. And so that was really cool. I left there feeling excited. I left there feeling happy. We were celebrating. I left there feeling celebratory that, that not only did my grandpa live a full life, but though he's gone, he's not suffering anymore. And we got to witness some people. And that's the way he would have wanted it. So we went out of there in joy and giving thanks. And I'm just telling you, church, that we can take that joy into the world. It is a generosity that's built into God's gospel. It's a generosity in that at the end of the day, it's a generous heart that's willing to give of everything they can. And when they do, people will say, this is something that can't be imitated. This is unique. And I need that. I'm tired of the process. I need something genuine and that generous heart to give in all abundance, in all things. It's no longer about you. It's about God. And you will see lives change across the map in Jesus name. Okay. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to get some barbecue today. we thankful for the opportunity to get to witness lives that have dedicated themselves to you. We get to, we get to celebrate this church and all the churches that have paved the way over several generations, God, to preserve your truth that no one can defeat this gospel. There's already 40 authors, 1,500 years of writing, and now they're all in harmony, and no one can still condemn this gospel, and it's still alive today because it's a prophetic written word that Alive And is your spirit and your words our spirit? And they can't be separated from this book. So, God, we're thankful for that. We give praise for that. We never want to let this diminish from the forefront of our ministry and our hearts. God, let us go out today giving joy and thanks in all our generousness. And if the house of God can say, in Jesus' name.